walked in for the first time was absolutely incredible. Um, and we always feel like coming home when we come back here. Um, and I certainly don't think this is the last time we'll be here because we, we, we love being part of Milford Baptist. Um, so David introduced us earlier um, and he said until April of this year we were um, working with Mechanics for Africa in Zambia actually. So we were away from the UK nearly six years. We originally, Claire mentioned, I originally went for two weeks, which became two years, which became six years. Um, and nearly four of those years were with MFA. And it was simultaneously the hardest and the most wonderful thing we've ever done as a family. Um, and I want to say up front, it was a real privilege to represent all of you as executives of Mechanics for Africa. Um, as executives of the charity that you started. Um, now, David describes us as missionaries, and people have described us as missionaries, and I'm, I'm going to unpack that a little bit during my talk. But first, I just want to, uh, to give the Bible readings. So first, firstly, Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. An expert in the law tested Jesus with this question, Teacher... What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And the second reading from Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said to his disciples, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, I grew up in the Anglican tradition and actually relatively recently my mum has been ordained uh, as an Anglican priest. And she's a genuinely great woman. I have a huge amount of respect for my mum. She says if you can't get your message down to ten minutes you don't know your theology. Um, this talk's about 20 minutes. Um, and I want to start with a story. Um, the guys who've taken over from us, Harry and Sarah, when they arrived in Zambia, David, I'm really struggling with this microphone. I like to walk around, so I apologise if you lose me. Um, uh, when Harry and Sarah came to Zambia, thank you, I may switch occasionally, um, they, they passed through Tanzania on their way to Zambia and uh, basically the whole of their household um, stuff was in a packing crate in Tanzania. And during the first couple of weeks they were there, they asked if I would go with Harry to collect his household stuff. So we, we road tripped up to Tanzania, which is something like a 16-hour drive. Now in Zambia, every few kilometres there's a police stop. And as soon as the police see a white person arriving they see the dollar signs. And not particularly that they are corrupt, but they will look for any reason at all to fine you. So it's quite stressful. Now, we'd, we'd been through a particular police stop, and um, number one, Harry's not a great driver, and he'd nearly run the police officer over, which didn't go down well. <laughs> number two, he had a brake light out. There was something else wrong. And so we were, obviously, we were arrested, and we were detained, and we had to pay quite a big fine to get out of there. We had to pay... Uh, whatever, it's about £100 fine 
which bearing in mind a daily wage might be four pounds, you know, that's a huge fine. Anyway, we continued on the way to Tanzania. We loaded up the car with all of his household possessions. There were bikes on the back and canoes on the roof and, and suitcases coming out of every window. We couldn't find a brake light to repair that. So we were coming back with this car that was overloaded and dangerous and illegal. And, and I said, you know, we're going to have problems at this police stop. We're not going to get through. And Harry's one of those irritating people who says, well, let's pray for that. And his, <laughs> and his, his prayers generally are answered. Um, he said, let's pray for that. Let's declare favour over that police stop. Anyway, so we arrived at this police stop and I was sweating and nervous. The police officer who he had run over on the way up was the police officer at this police stop. So, Harry, this is it. We're getting arrested. Anyway, wound the window down and the police officer leaned in and he said, I can feel the presence of God is upon you. You must be missionaries. And... We said, well, yes, yes, we are. And he said, then, then go with favour. <laughs> now, that is the only situation I have ever described myself as a missionary. Yeah. And that's not because I'm cynical, and it's not because I'm pedantic. And I'm going to unpack things a little bit. But the reason I don't describe myself as a missionary is because we are all missionaries. I am a missionary and so are you. My seven-year-old Reuben is a missionary. David is a missionary. Brian and Ros serving coffee are missionaries. Martin leading worship is a missionary. Cliff, uh, Lorraine and Christine, who spoke earlier, are missionaries. We're all missionaries. To describe ourselves as a missionary should never be a way of elevating ourselves above other people, which is why I don't describe myself as a missionary. I, I believe to the core of my being that Christianity is not a private members club. Um, I don't like the idea of a hard line of people being in or out. In fact, I have heard it said that if Christianity is a club, it's a club that exists solely for the benefit of its non-members. So, I, you know, I have no problem at all with us describing ourselves as members of a church. If you're Baptist or Anglican or uh, Methodist or Orthodox or Catholic or Pentecostal or Lutheran, my view is you are part of that church because you found a place in an expression of worship that brings you closer to God. But above church, above an expression of a preferred style, I think there's one body of believers, one Christianity, one Christ, one salvation. We all follow Christ. I think being Christianity is defined by who you believe in, who you follow, and what your response is. Um, there's an American comedian called Emo Phillips, who I, I quite like, and he told possibly the best religious joke ever. I can't really do it justice, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and tell it now. He said, I once met a guy who was really depressed, and I asked him why, and he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. I said, great. Are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. And I said, great, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? And he said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. I said, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? 
He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative or Northern Liberal? <laughs> and he said, Northern Conservative. I said, me too. I said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. And I said, me too. I said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist of... Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. And I said, get behind me, heretic. <laughs> you know, we, we can laugh at that joke. And the reason we can laugh is because we know what it's saying. So often there are divisions in Christianity that are unhelpful. You know, when I was younger, I used to think, if only my dear mum would come with me to New Wine, she would discover real worship. She'd be happier as a Christian. She'd understand who God really was. And it took me a long time to understand that she genuinely finds herself in the presence of God in the liturgy of the Anglican Communion. Me and my mum, we're both following Christ, doing our best, following God in different places. Um, can I ask, are there any mathematicians in the room? Oh dear. Um, please, please don't come up to me afterwards and tell me why this illustration is wrong. But... In mathematical terms, Christianity is not a boundary set. A boundary set is where you have out and in. You cross the boundary to come in. I don't believe Christianity is a boundary set. Christianity is a centre set with Christ at the centre and all of us either facing in or facing out. As Christians, we face in. Non-Christians face out. And our life's journey is in the direction we're facing towards Christ or away from Christ. Those of us facing in the right direction spend our lives walking closer to Christ. And those facing the wrong direction spend their life walking away. For me, there's no such thing as more Christian or less Christian. Just as there's no such thing as more pregnant or less pregnant. You're either pregnant or not pregnant. You're either Christian or not Christian. The only differentiator is how far along the journey you are. So as Christians, we are followers of Christ, stating the obvious. If we have a calling, our calling is to follow Christ. That word calling to me is, is a slightly mysterious Christianese word. Um, and I actually struggled to, to explain what calling is to a non-Christian. I was very blessed, uh, as David said earlier, very blessed to get back into my old company when we returned from Zambia. And a number of people I know well are still around. And I have a great old friend, old, old in both senses of the word old, a great old Christian friend who's at Siemens, and he, he's in the same department. Now, apparently, in the weeks before I arrived back, he was telling my new boss about me. And he said, Jason really didn't want to leave Siemens in 2012, but he answered God's call to go to Africa as a missionary. Now, my boss only told me that story last week, and she did confess she was worried about what kind of weirdo she was getting in her team. Um, and in fact, she was relieved to discover I was, and I quote, refreshingly normal for a Christian. <laughs> um, 
for the record, that's what I want on my gravestone. Here, here lies Jason Stonier. He was refreshingly normal. Well, you see, my, my friend, with the best of intentions, had set me apart by the way he described me. And we, we do all the same. We do the same all the time with our language and by our actions, and that is not what Christ wants for us. The calling to follow Christ in unity as believers is above every other calling. Matthew uh, 4 verse 18 is something we know well. In my Bible, the title of this passage is Jesus Calls His First Disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, who were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Come, follow me, and I will send you fishing for people. When we use that word calling, actually not many people in the Bible were called in the sense that we use it now. Um, In Genesis, God called Noah to build an ark. In Exodus, he called Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites. He called prophets such as Samuel and Jeremiah. He called Abraham and Sarah. He called people into political leadership like Joseph and David. Jesus called all of the apostles and some of his disciples. And the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries. But much more often in the Bible, actually, we read about people serving God by doing their day jobs. Two people I'm sure we know well, Bezalel and Oholiab from, um, from, from Exodus, they were called by name as craftsmen to work on the tabernacle. God called them to do their day job in service. And Nehemiah, um, who was a trusted governor under the king of Persia, didn't hear God's call at all. He just had a burning sense of injustice that Jerusalem was in ruins and wanted to do something about it. Some people are called out of their current life to do something for God, but I believe much more often God calls people in their life to serve him. Um, In that passage I read from Matthew 28, Christ said, uh, all authority in heaven is given to me, therefore as my disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That word go used there is a very imperfect translation of the Greek. Um, The Greek word that is used there is actually a present continuous imperative. Um, So it's not really go, it's actually as you are going, therefore. Um, As you are going make disciples of all nations. It is a command, it is an imperative, but it's a continuous imperative. Um, It is absolutely not saying, leave what you're doing and make disciples. It is saying, as you go through your life, make disciples. It may be that that means going off and converting people in the African bush, but rarely and not necessarily in my view. In the message translation, Uh, Eugene Peterson says he renders this go out and train everybody you meet far and near in this way of life and I love the way he says that so that is calling every person here every child and adult here your calling is to follow Christ you know um, Claire and I prayed for more than 10 years to be called 
Um, and honestly, we got pretty grumpy and upset about it when we weren't. For 10 years, we were telling God what he should call us to do. When we stopped telling God what he wanted us to do, things started moving. And when our church in Poole um, needed a project manager to go for two weeks to South Africa, I went along because I was a project manager. I didn't feel called to it. There was a need that I could fulfill. And that visit led to us um, uh, going with the charity for 18 months to help project manage their Zambian organisation. <clears throat> and we did that because there was a need to fulfil. When we were deciding whether to go, we had a number of meetings with our spiritual mentors. Um, and we actually said to them, you know, we, we think we should do this, but we don't feel a, a passionate excitement from God that this is the right thing. And they kind of stared at us for what felt like five minutes and then said, you don't seem particularly passionate and excitable people. Why would you be passionate and excitable about this? And it was a very wise thing to say, and they were right. Actually, we never felt God telling us we should or shouldn't go. It was a logical decision. There was a need. We could fill that need, and we had the skills and aptitude to do it. And actually, what we did in the end was say, God, this is what we're doing. You've got 48 hours to change our mind. And he didn't. And being in Zambia put us in the right place at the right time to take over from Charlie and Sharon as God's deputies at MFA which is where God wanted us all along. That 10-year journey in God's time was a blink of an eye to put us where he needed us to be. So what was our calling? Our calling was to follow Christ and use our skills in his kingdom. Um, we have a good friend in Zambia called Elvis. Um, if you think that's funny, his, coven, his cousin is called Belvis. Um, <laughs> Elvis um, has, has run a few youth camps with us, and he's, he's, he's brilliant, brilliant guy uh, running youth camps. He really wants to be a preacher. He wants to be at the front calling thousands of people to Christ in a crusade. Um, the problem is he's a terrible preacher. He is uncomfortable at the front. He's disorganised in his thinking. He's unable to, uh, to speak in a clear way. And I can see some of you looking at me now and thinking the same thing. But <laughs> Elvis, Elvis wants to be a preacher because African churches elevate preachers. If you're not a preacher, you are a lesser Christian. Elvis is brilliant at leading group work. He's, he's wholly credible in a small group setting, running small groups of young people, leading people to faith in the context of a small group. He's skilled at getting alongside people and leading and walking with them. What's his calling? I'm sure we can all agree he's not called to be a preacher. His calling is to follow Christ, help others do likewise, using the skill and passion and talent that God gave him. Similarly, I'm not really a preacher. I enjoy preaching, I enjoy preparing to preach. Um, but I'm not a preacher, I'm not an accountant, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a tent maker. I'm an engineer, a project manager, and I enjoy building relationships. And God's calling for me was to be an engineer, to be a project manager, and to build relationships in his kingdom. 
And for five years, I did that in the department of his kingdom called Zambia. Um, <clears throat> David said at the head of this, how do you feel about not being a missionary anymore? My calling right now is to be an engineer, a project manager, and a relationship builder. And I'm doing that in the department of his kingdom called Bournemouth. What struck me about the stories we heard from Cliff, Lorraine, and Christine earlier is that they, all of them felt they had skills and they had context. Cliff, um, I think you said um, you felt you knew how to grieve. Um, Lorraine said she heard about street angels and simply thought, that's got my name on it. Um, Christine, you said you enjoy talking to people. They all said they wanted to help people out from the position they were in. In fact, um, Lorraine, forgive me, but I think she said, why do I do it? Well, I can do it, so why shouldn't I? They simply decided to help people from where they were, and by doing so, they were missionaries. So we're all missionaries. We're all Christ's envoys on earth. Personally, how do we get our sense of mission? Well, I say, what skills has God given you? What passions has God given you? What abilities has God given you? What resources has God given you? If you can examine those four things, that will tell you what your mission is. It doesn't have to be anything outside of those things. We have a good friend, and I'm going to call him John because that's his name. When John heard we were going to Africa, he took us aside one day and he, um, he asked us how much money we were still left to raise. And we, we told him some astronomical figure. Um, and he said, well, now you're £1,000 a year nearer to your goal, and wrote us a cheque for three years. He said to me this, we are all missionaries, and right now my circumstances don't allow me to leave work, but I love what you're doing and I want to be your mission partner. John is a missionary, as much as everybody in this room, and his expression of his calling is to use his considerable resources to enable other people to express their calling. <clears throat> I'm coming towards the end now. Earlier I spoke about my boss, who was rele relieved to find that I was refreshingly normal. Um, a couple of weeks ago she asked to speak to me sometime over a beer. She wants to speak about Christianity. Her whole family are atheists. Um, and I'm the first Christian she's ever met who she thinks could be worth talking to about Christianity. Um, because I'm someone she respects, somebody she considers rational and competent, and somebody who likes a beer and a bit of banter. But somebody who's also clearly a follower of Christ, and she wants to find out more about what I believe. Do you know, a street preacher or a church service is unlikely ever to have an impact on her. But maybe... Maybe I can. I hope the way I live my life does have an impact on her. And opens the question further. Um, because, I, you know, I think we overcomplicate the gospel. I think we wrap it up in fancy language, but it's really simple. God loves you. And in response, you should love God, love other people follow Jesus and teach other people to do likewise. That's the essence of the gospel. 
That's your mission, that's your calling. And it's very practical. You know, Christ himself said that we should be salt and light in the world. Um, let's talk about salt. Um, Chef Michel Roux Jr. was once asked what the most important flavour in the kitchen was, and he said salt. He said, above everything else I cook with, salt is the most important. And he said you should put as much salt in your food as you can get away with without making it taste salty. Salt, he said, is the thing that makes everything taste worse by not being there. When Jesus tells us to be salt in the world, he's saying the world tastes worse without us and we make everything better by being there. So that's our mission. Be salt, make the world a better place. Um, this week we've been staying with friends in London and he's a Baptist minister and his house is within the grounds of the Baptist church there. Um, so on Tuesday we arrived after a long drive, pulled across the road onto the church drive and discovered somebody parked right in the entrance to the church. So we were across the road on the path and we couldn't get in. The driver wasn't in the car but a passenger was and as we pulled up she kind of panicked and started getting her mobile out and phoning, trying to, trying to get hold of the driver, obviously. She was very agitated. And after a long, and I can say deeply irritating five minutes, <laughs> of us being stuck in the road, a woman ran up, um, clearly flustered and started apologising and freaking out, and her daughter was in hospital and she had to go to the chemist and she couldn't find anywhere to park and she was going to be a couple of minutes. And, and da, 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 da. Um, now, we had two choices. We could carry on being irritated or we could swallow our pride and try and make her day a little better. And so what we did was we told her not to worry. We said we're pretty relaxed. We said we had nowhere important to be. We said don't worry about it. We said no problem. And she was shocked. Definitely was not the response she was expecting. But there we were pulling into a church she would assume we were connected with the church. We didn't shout her down. We didn't give her the treatment she was expecting. That's what Jesus would have done. And I hope we had an impact, however small. That's what being salt means to me. It's helping people carry their buggy up the stairs on the tube when the escalator's broken. It's holding a door open. It's being genuinely interested in somebody's day. It's like Christine said, just going and talking to people. It's demonstrating Christ in practical ways. Matthew 28 again, as you live your life, go and make disciples. That's my mission, and it always has been. And it's your mission. Our mission is to make the world a little better today than it was yesterday. Our mission is to demonstrate Christ to those around us by our words and by our deeds. You know, there are people you meet in your life, you may be the only reflection of Christ they ever see. Your mission is to be as much like Christ as you can be to those people. And if you have 
spare resources, use them to support people who are expressing their calling in a different way to you. Like our friend John. And like my godfather, who is a Buddhist. And I'll give you a moment to reflect on what that means. My Buddhist godfather sponsors a student at Mechanics for Africa. He's making the world a better place. <clears throat> I just, I wish he was facing Jesus while he did it. Matthew 28, again, I'll come back to that. Go and live your life, and as you do so, make disciples. We're called to follow Christ and leave the world better than we found it. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask Claire to come back up um, and tell a story of a young woman in Zambia whose life has been changed forever by resources that people from this church have put in to MFA. Okay, so one last story which Jason asked me to um, leave until now is a story of um, Bridget and my heart um, broke for Bridget. It's one of those, one of those stories that just, just gets to you. So Bridget is the eldest of five. Um, her mother was nowhere. Um, her father, who was a mechanic, died when she was eight. Um, and so she was raised by her elderly grandmother. Um, as the eldest, culturally, she is obliged um, to provide for her younger siblings, but she had no way or means to do that. Um, she had a deep desire to be a mechanic, to follow in her father's footsteps, and somebody um, told her about Mechanics for Africa. Um, she said, oh, I can't go there because I can't afford the fees. Um, and her pastor said, don't worry, we will find a way. So she, um, obviously we didn't know that backstory um, and then, but she passed her entrance exam. She um, sailed through um, the interview panel um, and she became a student. She never missed a day. She worked hard. She um, was humble and um, had a really servant heart. In her second year, I think it was um, three members of her family, including her grandmother, passed away. She missed time only to attend the funerals. Um, and then she stopped coming to college. And um, fortunately, um, the senior staff know the students really well. And so we asked them to get in contact with her and find out what, what's going on. And it turns out that this um, pastor had um, stopped funding her, uh, funding her fees. And so we said, call her in. Um, and so she came in and we said, why have you stopped coming? And she said, well, I can't, I, I just can't afford to be here. We said, stay, we will make a plan, stay. Your circumstances are such that it is beyond any reason, you know, it's not your fault, your circumstances have changed. So she stayed. She is still a second year actually, so she will be uh, finishing, um, she'll be doing her exams in December. And all of the second year students, um, are try we try and get them um, a, a placement with industry. Um, now it turns out that she, um, Harry, was responsible for, for sorting the placements this year and she was placed with a, a company, I think in Andola, but, and we heard um, a couple of weeks ago um, that she has so impressed um, the company uh, that the MD sought her out um, to offer her a job for when she has for when she, upon successful completion of her exams, which we have absolutely no doubt um, that she will do. Um, so that's her and her four siblings sorted, um, pending, um, pending successful completion of her exams. 
that's the difference Mechanics for Africa makes. So that, that's one, one young lady. Um, the only income in her family was selling charcoal at the local market. Now she's got a guaranteed job as a mechanic with a good wage. She'll pay the rest of her siblings through education. And that's a whole family raised out of poverty, potentially forever. That's the impact of, of what every one of you has had. The impact every one of you has had in Zambia by the giving of your time, the giving of your resources, the giving of your prayers. <clears throat> Whatever skills you have, use them for the kingdom. If you feel a desire to go overseas to use those skills, that may be a prompting from God. At the very least, he's not going to object. If you have money, use it to support others as they fulfil their calling in ways that you can't. But in everything you do, follow Christ, reflect Christ, and be salt in the world. This banner behind me, I absolutely love this banner. I don't know if it was here last time we were here, but it, it does seem new to me. What does it say? Christ has no hands on earth, but ours. In other words, God doesn't have a plan B. We are it. You're already a missionary. You're already a calling. Stripping it down to the basics, all of us are called to be the best image of Christ we can be to those around us. It may be the only time they truly experience Jesus. Amen. I think we're going to sing another song. Am I right? Thank you. So if we can stand to sing.